you want to turn in your Bibles this morning, we'll be in the book of Matthew chapter 6. We're going to continue looking at the prayer on uh, where the Lord instructed us on how it is that we are to pray. I know we've looked in previous weeks, we started by looking at how not to pray like the heathen and the hypocrite, and then we began looking at the instructions on the prayer. We're supposed to start out giving glory and honor to God, to the name of God, hallowed be thy name. We, we looked at the part that we are to pray that God's perfect will be done on heaven, that God's perfect will be done in our life the same way it'll be done on earth in our life, the same way that it's done in heaven, that God's perfect will be accomplished everywhere. We were to pray that way last week. We looked at we were to pray for the daily provisions. Lord, give us this day our daily bread to pray for the things that we need for this day, for the provisions necessary. This morning, we're going to deal with the subject of forgiveness. Now, this can be an oh me. This can be an uh uh-oh. There's never been another book. There'll never be another book that deals more with forgiveness than the word of the Lord. There's never been, there will never be another person on this planet who knows more on the topic of forgiveness than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So this morning, we're going to look at this topic of forgiveness, beginning in verse number 9 of Matthew chapter 6. After this manner, therefore, pray ye our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. That's the four messages that we've looked at up to this point. But this morning, our text will be here in verse number 12. Forgive us our debts. As we forgive our debtors. Father God, I pray, Lord, you'd take your word this morning. I pray you'd pierce it into our hearts. God, I pray you'd do what only you could do with the Holy Spirit. Sit down in the lap of every person here. God, move in the heart, mind, and soul of everybody in this place. I pray you'd take this one message and divide it as many times as you wanted. That you speak each individual in this place, God. That you move upon everybody. That everybody's soul is stirred. That everybody learns something, God. Will you give each of us something to take from here today? It would make us be a better servant. Will you shape us, mold us, and make us into the image of Christ on this day, God? We thank you for your word. We thank you for your instructions. Help us now, God, to be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Greek word here for debt is ophilema. It is a debt due. It means your debt is now due. It is a moral fault. It is something that is owed. The Greek word for debtors here at the end of verse is a philotos. It is a person that is indebted morally and that debt is delinquent. It is now due. Now, according to God's holy word, you and I have a responsibility to forgive others. I didn't kill the message. I ain't even got started yet. I said you and I have a responsibility to forgive others. Not only that. But the Lord Jesus instructed us right here on how to pray. And I would tend to believe that out of this entire prayer and everything that Jesus said, including hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, give us this day, involving everything that the Lord taught us on how to pray, I would tend to believe that this situation, this subject of forgiveness is the greatest emphasis within this entire prayer. I can tell you why I think that. Because after the prayer, after he gives the instructions, after the amen, this is the only part that Jesus comes back and elaborates on. 
This is the only part that he brings back up after it's all said and done. And he's saying, hey, here is why I told you the part about forgiveness. Verse number 14, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, the Greek word there for trespasses is paratoma. It means the same thing as debt there in verse number 12. It is a transgression. It is an offense. So it's almost like Jesus gives us all the instructions on how to pray, all the instructions on how to come into the Holy of Holies, how to talk to the Father. And then he comes back and says, before we move on, let me emphasize this one very important part again. So when we're praying according to verse number 12, we must do so understanding the priority of forgiving others. Now, there is a theological debate surrounding this particular passage there are those that say because of this particular verse that God's forgiveness is dependent upon our forgiveness of each other now that is true to a degree it wouldn't be written the way that it is but we need to take a look at what it's actually saying that is not true in the case of salvation if God's forgiveness was dependent upon how we forgive others in the case of salvation, then God's amazing grace would be limited by our grace, which is very poor. Amen? Jesus says that we are to love our enemies. See, if God could only forgive us according to the way we forgive others, it would limit what God could forgive us for. It's okay to say amen. We all know that that is not the case when it comes to salvation. God's grace is sufficient. But forgiveness is important in the life of the Christian. Our forgiveness on each other does have a bearing on our relationship with the Father. On the activeness of our relationship with the Father himself. If we are to love our enemies, do good to them which curse you and spitefully use you and say all manner of evil against you. If we are to love them, there will never be a time in your life when you will exemplify the life of the Lord Jesus Christ more than when you carry that out. When you love people without a cause. When you love people unconditionally, when you love people for no reason at all, when you take people who have talked about you behind your back, spoken against you, thrown rocks at you, spoken all manner of evil, and you love them anyway, that is exemplifying Christ within us. Amen? A passage that I use quite frequently is that by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, that ye have love one for another. There's no other way to show the world. You can't go tell them. You can't go buy something. You can't build bigger buildings. You can't sing louder or better. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. The book of Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So when we love others and we Forgive others, even those who, who spitefully use us. We are demonstrating the relationship that we have with the Father and the relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the greatest challenges that we face is the ability to forgive others. Amen. That's right. I agree. 
self-committed. One of the greatest challenges we face is to forgive those who have deliberately offended us. Maybe even undeliberately hurt us. Hurts just the same, does it not? So what does it mean that we are to forgive? They forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Hmm. Y'all know, I use, I'm sure most all of you do this study of the Bible. I use a lot of commentaries. Commentaries are good. I use guys like Albert Barnes. Um, I use John Gill. Uh, I like Dr. Harold Wilmington, O.S. Hawkins. One of the things that I know for a fact from studying behind these guys is there's not one that I agree with everything they say. So be careful with your commentaries. I, I like morning devotions. I like Zig Ziglar. I like... Dr. Charles Stanley's devotions. I like Dr. Adrian Rogers' morning devotions. I, I like Larry Neff. Brother Larry Neff puts one out six days a week. I love the one he puts out. Ladies, I'm sure y'all use them. There are several godly women that, that put out some incredible devotions. I would encourage if you don't have one to find one. Um, look, look through and find one that, that speaks to you, means something to you, and use those things. My challenge is to find something that helps you in your study, but my greatest challenge is to make sure you don't let that replace the Word of God. Because as much as I love commentaries and as much as I appreciate God giving those men godly wisdom and putting some things on paper that we can study behind them, there is no better commentary for the Bible than the Bible itself. The Bible is self-explanatory if you'll keep your face in it and stay in a perfect relationship with the one who wrote it. Amen? So I want to expound on this thought a little bit. Here in the book of Matthew, if we turn over to chapter 18... There's a good illustration of exactly what Jesus is teaching us here about forgiveness and the prayer. In, in chapter 18, about the first 15 verses or so, Jesus is dealing with this same topic. He's dealing with the issue of offending one another. He's dealing with the issue of trespasses against one another. But then when we get to verse number 21, Peter interrupts Jesus. And the reason I say Peter interrupts Jesus is because if you got your Bible open and you look there, what you'll see is that Jesus begins talking in, in verse number 3. And from verse number 3 all the way to verse number 35, Jesus is talking. Except for right there in the middle of it when Peter just had to say something. He just had to open his mouth right in the middle, interrupt the Son of God, right in the middle of what he's teaching. And this is what he has to say, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him till seven times. See, Peter's thinking he's got this all figured out. He's thinking Jesus is going to be like, man, all you guys, you need to pay attention to what Peter just said. Did you hear that? Man, he said if somebody offends him seven times, he's going to forgive them all seven times. What a godly man. Jesus said, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. I doubt that Peter knew anything about multiplications. I know for a fact he didn't have enough fingers and toes because the Bible would have told us about that kind of weird stuff. So there's no way he could have counted that way. So what that tells me is that I don't think Peter had any way of understanding 490. I would think that Peter would have had to gather what you and I are supposed to gather today. There is no limit to forgiveness. The Bible tells us, Freely we have been given. Freely we are to give. Amen? So no matter how many times we're offended, it is our job to forgive every time. Now, I don't know 
But I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one in the house that finds that a little difficult. I'm probably not the only one that might have some issues with trying to forgive people that can't shut their mouth behind my back. I've learned just pray for them and let God deal with them. Is about the only way to handle that. Amen? Anybody know? It's, it's almost, sometimes it's almost like the Bible is telling us to do something that seems impossible to do. Anybody know what I'm talking about in here? But if you continue there with the discussion in chapter 18, as soon as Jesus answers Peter, he goes right into this parable about a king and a servant. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he began to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped and said, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. The Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. A talent was a sum of money. It was a weight of silver or gold amounting to 3,000 shekels. If you want to study a little bit more about that, it's in the book of Exodus chapter 38. I'm not going to spend a lot of time right there without spending time over the money. It's assumed that this is silver shekels that he's talking about. If these were shekels of gold, you'd be talking about an amount 16 times greater than this. But if we're talking about silver shekels, in terms of that, the amount owed right here would have been over 16 million dollars the bible says he's a servant that means his wages are about a penny a day how many days would you have to live at a penny a day and give everything to pay off a 16 million dollar debt you know the comical part is the guy says i'm gonna pay it all off if you'll just be patient with me i mean how long you plan on living the bottom line is he has a debt right here that he can never repay. There is no way that he can ever repay what he owes that king. He knows it, and the king knows it. So what the Bible is telling me is that this man clearly owes a debt that he does not have the ability to repay, even though he wants to. How many of you wish you could repay the debt that you owe to the Lord Jesus Christ? How many of you wish you could go back and right some wrongs? How many wish you could go back and undo some things you did and unsay some things you said? How many of you wish that you could go back and live righteous and holy before God and pure and take back all the times that you broke the heart of God? It doesn't matter how bad you want to go back and make things right. You cannot repay the debt that you owe. He tells the king, I'll, I'll pay thee all. Who knows how he could have gotten in so much debt? I mean, that'd be a serious gambling problem, amen? It'd be really be a serious drug problem. He's got more than just an overspending problem. But here's the deal. It doesn't matter how he got there. The fact remains that he has a debt that there is no way possible that he could ever pay it back. And he fell before the king on his knees, and the king said, you know what? Don't worry about it. It's forgiven done you, you're 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 promising you want to pay that back i know you can't pay it back it's greater than any ability you have there's no way that you could pay it back just don't worry about it it's forgiven see what we owe is a sin debt and a sin debt cannot be paid by any human possibilities 
The only thing that can repay the sin debt is the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we came on our knees before God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, God said, you know what? Don't worry about it. All your sins are forgiven. All your sins are washed away. It's a debt you could not pay. But I've got it covered. The Bible says that the servant went out and he found somebody that owed him money. Verse number 28. The Bible says the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him about a hundred pence. And he laid his hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. A pent is worth about 14 cents in our money today. So we're talking about a debt here of about $14. The fellow servant fell down at his feet, just like he did the king. He besought him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all, just like he did with the king. And he would not. But he went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto the Lord all that was done. His Lord, after that, called him and said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest thou not also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? His Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you. If ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. So who are the players here in this parable? The king is God. The servants are you and I. That's who this is talking about. We owed a debt that was simply impossible to pay. A sin debt only payable through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. This man was forgiven over $16 million. But he's not willing to forgive somebody who owes him just a few bucks. Here, here's your story. Here's your parable. Nobody has ever wronged you or I nearly as much as we have God. Nobody has ever offended you or done anything against you nearly as bad as we have offended God. And God has forgiven us of all of our debt. And he will not hold us blameless for holding penny any debts against others. Amen? That's the parable. So what does our story in our text teach us this morning? Well, it teaches us that because we are forgiven, we are to forgive others. Right. It teaches us not only are we to forgive because we're forgiven, but we are to forgive just as we have been forgiven. How have we been forgiven? Completely. Freely without limitations, unconditionally. I'm, I'm glad God's not like us. I'm glad God doesn't keep score. You know what? I'll forgive you, but I ain't going to forget it. I, I'm, I'm going to remember it. I'm going to keep that on tab. That, that's not forgiveness. God says that our sins are forgiven to be remembered no more, separated as far as the east is from the west, cast into the depths of the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. God will never Bring our sins up again. That is the same way that you and I are supposed to forgive others. So we're to forgive others because we've been forgiven. And we're to forgive just as we are forgiven. But according to our text this morning, we're to forgive in order that we might be forgiven. 
So that brings us back to the theological debate that I mentioned earlier. Would God only forgive us on the basis of which we forgive others? On the issue of salvation, that is clearly answered in Romans chapter, chapter 8. Verse number 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation. Somebody should have jumped the pew down a backflip screen. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life of Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. On the very moment, that we fell before God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and asked Him to forgive us of all of our sins. At that very moment, I became perfect before God in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is one of the problems that I have with other denominations. I've told you I grew up in Pentecostal church. I grew up in the church of God. It's a sad state when you believe you can lose your salvation. I grew up listening to that stuff. Just bear with me. Let let me give you a little something here from our prayer this morning. See, I I do not in any way believe that the blood of Jesus is not sufficient. I do not in any way believe that once the blood has been applied, that the blood can be washed off. I do not believe that once God has written my name in the Lamb's book of life and said, I've separated your sins as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered, that he would erase my name from the Lamb's book of life and said, I now remember your sins again. I do not believe that, nor will I ever, according to the word of God. That is to say that the blood was sufficient to forgive some of my sins or actually all of my sins up until I got saved. But once I got saved, well, you know, now you're on your own. That's the same thing as saying that the blood of Jesus was sufficient to save my soul. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That is the only way to get saved. But the only way you can stay saved is through your works. No, I'm sorry. It's the blood of Jesus that saved you, and it's the blood of Jesus that will keep you. There is nothing else. I believe that I've been forgiven of all my sins. The ones I committed before I got saved, the ones I've committed since I got saved, and the ones I'm going to commit between now and the time I die. Unless if I die before I drive through LaGrange. One more time. So a couple of questions. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Forgiveness of sins. Amen. He died on the cross for forgiveness of all sins. So when Jesus died on the cross... How many of my sins and yours did he die for? All of them. Here's the question. You ready? You ready? Pay attention. How many of our sins did he die for before we ever committed them? All of them. Before I had ever sinned on the cross, Jesus paid for every sin in advance. Amen? He paid for the sins that we would commit before we were saved. He paid for the sins that we would commit after we were saved. In the mind of God, all of our sins, the ones before salvation, the ones after, all of our sins were dealt with on the cross. Thank God there'll never be another cross. I don't understand why we don't have running fits in here. I don't. We couldn't have had one of those in the church I grew up in. People would have jumped off that thing sure as I'm standing here. I promise you they would. 
I, I watched them run the aisles. I've seen them root laps around the building, tell them, Daddy. Man, I, I've seen them fall out, poof, flat of the back. And jump back up, shout. And I, here's what gets me. They, they're all excited about the blood of Jesus. They're excited about the filling of the Holy Spirit. They're excited about serving God. And they get all that excited about something they believe they can lose. We know we can't. We ought to be doing laps around the place. We know for sure that I'm saved, born again forever. There ain't nothing can take away the blood of the Lamb of God. Nothing can get it off and nothing can put my sins back on me. My sins are forgiven on the cross, even the ones I've not yet done, just like the ones already. They were paid before I was ever even born. Everything's already done. Well, let me look at this one last thing. I'm done. Jesus, the master teacher, master teacher, he taught us in everything that he said. He taught us in everything that he did through his life. In the book of John, chapter 13, Jesus is at the Lord's Supper. All of you know that, I'm sure. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that story. I'm just going to pick up at verse number 6 of the Lord's Supper. When he got to Simon Peter, he is washing the disciples' feet. And he gets over there to Peter, and Peter saith, And Lord, does thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do thou knowest not, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and you are clean, but not all. Peter says, Lord, there's no way that you are washing my feet. Jesus says, If I don't wash your feet, then I have no fellowship with you. Peter says, oh, 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 okay, then wash me all over. Wash my head, wash everything. Jesus says, there's no need for you to be washed again. You've already been washed. There's no need to be washed again, only your feet. There's no need for you to be cleansed all over from your life, only the dirt from today. It's right there in verse number 10. Two different types of wash. He that is washed, the Greek word is luo. It's a primary verb. It means to bathe. He that is washed, that is completely bathed, needeth not save to wash his feet. Greek word for that is nipto. It means to clean ceremonially, especially the hands or feet. So we have one word washed and washed, but there's actually two Greek words. Once you and I have been saved, once we have been born again, once all of our sins have been washed away, we need not be washed all over again. But during the course of the day, sometimes some of us mess up. Some of us don't get it right. Some of us think some things we shouldn't have thought. Sometimes before we know it, it even slips out and comes out loud. We might have said something we didn't mean to say, do something that we really didn't want to do. Sometimes some of those not-so-holy folks can understand what I'm talking about. We mess up during the day, and we have to have our feet washed. We have to have that, that cleansing that washes off the dirt of the day. To be washed all over the first time, that took care of my salvational cleansing. I will never need to be saved again, but I do need to come every day and be cleansed for my relational cleansing so that my relationship with the Father is kept pure. You cannot walk in fellowship with God living in willful sin. When a Christian comes back and says, Father, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I did that again. But I did. Lord, I, I need you to forgive me. I, I've sinned against you and you alone, God. 
And I'm just asking you, will you forgive me? The Christian doesn't get saved again. He just gets cleansed. The relationship is restored. Psalms chapter 51. David does a great job in his prayer. By the way, that is my favorite prayer in all the Bible. It's in my phone. You read it often. You do well to put Psalms 51 in your Bible and read it as your prayer to God often. It's an amazing prayer. But David says, beginning in verse number 9, Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew, not create, renew a right spirit within me. See, he didn't say create, he said renew, because the problem is David's messed up here. David has a sin in his life that I think we all know what it is. We don't have to go back and revisit it. And God sent somebody there to tell him about it. And now he's praying, he's realizing the sin. And he said, will you renew a right spirit within me? Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore, not build, not create. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. He didn't say restore my salvation. He said restore the joy of my salvation. There is joy in salvation. There is joy in a right relationship with God. The most miserable people on this earth are not those that are still lost and on their way to hell. The most miserable people on this earth are those who have been saved and continuing to live in the filth and the sin and the things of the world, living contrary to the laws of God. They are miserable because they are living in a broken relationship with their father. David said, restore the joy, the joy, a broken relationship with the Father is nothing but unconfessed and unrepented sin. It doesn't do you any good to confess it if you're planning on going back and doing it. There has to be repentance with, along with the God I'm sorry is God with your help. I'm never going back and doing that again. There must be a repentance of turning away. So we are to forgive others because we've been forgiven. We're to forgive others just as we've been forgiven. And in one last text, you'll be out of the door in five minutes, maybe, sort of, kind of. Our text says in verse number 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We are to forgive others in order that we might be forgiven. Not our salvational forgiveness. That's secured but our relational forgiveness. The first part of this sermon, Matthew chapter 6, begins back Matthew chapter 5. 5, 6, and 7 is all the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching. Jesus is preaching this sermon. And, and he tells us here about an example that when we're a child of God, he said, if you bring your gift to the altar. Now, what is your gift that you have to God? It's your praise. It's all you've got. You don't have anything else that's worth anything to God. So your life, your praise, is all you have to give to God. Now, he says, before you bring your gift to the altar, the only gift that I have is my praise. How did he start out telling us to pray? Hallowed be thy name. You can't praise him dragging your guilt. If you bring your praises and you start going according to the prayer of God Almighty and you come in and you want to say, Lord, here is my gift. Hallowed be thy name. You are holy. You are Jehovah. You are righteous. And, and all of a sudden, God reminds you of a debt. God reminds you there's somebody that you have ought with. There's somebody that you're in a broken relationship with. There's somebody that you're holding a grudge against. There's somebody that you've not forgiven. There's somebody out there that you have a problem with. God says, save your time. Your gift is no good at this point. You can't get on to step two in the prayer 
You, you can't get on to the part about give me daily bread. You can't get on to the part about the rest of any of it until you leave the altar. Go and make things right with the brethren. And then you can come back and say, hallowed be thy name. I wonder how many broken relationships we carry around. We try to live so hard for the things of God. We try to be so pleasing to God. We try to, to keep things right. We pray every day, God, help us. But we harbor grudges that we have no intentions of letting down. You don't know what they did to me. No, I don't, but I know what they're costing you. But, man, you just, you just don't understand. I may not understand that, but I understand some things. I understand this book says that's costing your relationship with the Father. I understand that as long as you're carrying around bitter feelings and ill feelings, I understand that as long as you're, you're, you're having problems between others, as long as you're unwilling to forgive those who have offended you, as long as you're unwilling to make wrong relationships right between other people, then your relationship with God is broken. And even hallowed be thy name, God says, I don't want it till you go fix it. I wonder how many of us, our fellowship with God is hindered by what we carry around. Now, some of it is vocal. Some of it is verbal. Some of you have said it out loud. I can't stand that old so-and-so. Tell you right now, I wouldn't stop and help that on the side road. I'd run over them if they got close enough to the edge. Some of us have said it out loud. You know I can't stand that one. I'm telling you right now, it'd be just me fine if I'd never see their face again. Costing yourself. Here's the part. Some of us try to be a little bit more holier than thou. We won't say it out loud. But we think it. Well, that me thinks it. God knows what me thinks. It means my relationship is hindered. Could I have you stand? Go ahead and stand on your feet this morning. Jesus is the one that gave us the outline to the prayer. And he says, hallowed be thy name. But the word of God is in context. So before you can hallowed be thy name, you've got to have a right relationship with brothers and sisters and all those around you. So before we can even get to the part where we are now, we've got to get to this part. Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive the ones who have sinned against us. Anybody have anything you need God to help you put down? This is a really good time to go ahead and use the altar. Use it like I usually do. Pray for them that God would straighten them out. Amen. I don't, I don't want to stand before God with ill feelings against somebody else. After all that I've done against God and all that I've been forgiven for, I don't want God to have to look down at me and say, $16 million in that parable was nothing compared to what you owed me. That $16 million even in gold would have been the 16 million times 16. Even in gold, that'd be nothing compared to what you owe me. And I forgave you of all of it. Why do you carry around bitterness against brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you know it can hinder your walk? Do you know it can hinder the way God can use you? 
Do you know it can hinder when you're trying to witness to somebody? You, you know one of the, when you're witnessing to somebody and it's almost like there's a barrier there, the barrier may not be their refusal. The barrier may be you. It may be your refusal to just put things right with God. I don't know. I don't know. I guess the ultimate question is, are you in perfect harmony with everybody you know? Because if you're not, then you're not in perfect harmony with God. Altars always open to faith. You're welcome to pray for a little bit if you want to. Um, if I could have your heads bowed and eyes closed right where you're at, you certainly can pray right where you are. You don't have to come to the altar. God can hear all over the place. I would challenge you, don't, don't leave here with anything that God put on your heart. If the thought entered your mind, I didn't put it there. Only the Holy Spirit can speak to you. Don't, don't take anything out the door that God's pointed out to you. But if there's any of you, you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Are you willing to do that this morning? That's our first priority. Nothing else matters without the blood of Jesus. We must be saved. Are you willing to confess your sins? The Bible says for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. That's just a fact. We're born sinners. We'll deal with that topic some more tonight. Are you willing to say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner? See, you can be saved this morning with that prayer. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I'm asking you to come into my heart. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. I, I, want, I want what your word talked about in that message. All my sins forgiven forever as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. I, I want to be forgiven that way. I want that kind of salvation that I can know I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. Lord, will you forgive me of my sin and save my soul in Jesus' name? You say a prayer or anything similar to that, it's not a magic prayer. It's just surrendering your heart to God. If you surrendered your life to Christ this morning, so I said that prayer, I'm giving my life to Christ. I trusted Him to save me this morning. Right where you're at, I won't point you out. I won't come to you, I promise. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. You slip your hand up right where you're at. With everybody's standing. I can't see very good. You'll have to hold them high. Don't be ashamed. Just hold them high. Main floor or balcony. Hold them up for a minute. Let me look around. Amen. See the hand. See the hand. Amen. Amen. So could I keep every head bowed, every eye closed just for a minute? If you're in here this morning, you say, Lord, I need your help in the area of forgiveness. God, I got some people that have pulled my chains. I got some people that have rattled my cage, and I'm having a hard time letting it go. I want to be perfect with you, but I know in order to be perfect with you, God, I got to get some things right with some people. That's what your word tells me. That I'm to forgive others' debts against me. I'm to, I'm to make some wrong things right with other people. And Lord, I know you spoke to me this morning, and I'm asking you to help me in this area. Nobody's looking around, but as a testimony to God, will you raise your hand right where you're at as a witness of the testimony? Say, God, I need you to help me all over the building. Don't be ashamed. Listen, you, you're raising your hand as a testimony to God. Say, God, I need you to help me in this area. I just want to forgive others. 
the same way you forgive me. I want to be pleasing to you. You put your hands down. Thank you so much. Father God, you've seen the hands, God. Lord, you've seen the hands raised, and they raised a hand saying, I need your help. I'm praying right now, God. I'm interceding on their behalf. Each hand that was raised, will you reach down, God? Will you reach down and touch them, God? I pray, Lord, that you would help each one of us, Father, that know it's an issue to be more forgiven. May the love of Christ live in us and flow through us. Help us, God, to be everything that you want us to be, God. We love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.